We are on a mission, a mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Podcast, we dive into current events that are shaping how pharmacists approach their patients and their businesses. Fuel your passion for pharmacy one conversation at a time. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. Uh, today we have our uh, usual people. We have uh, me, I'm Jeff Key, uh, president of Pioneer X. We also have uh, Josh. Josh, you give a quick introduction. Yeah, Josh Howland, I'm the VP of Clinical Strategy here at Pioneer and a part time pharmacist. And we have uh, Mark. Mark. Yeah, uh, Vice President of Business Development, uh, uh, Sales Installation Onboarding. That's me. So, uh, and today we have our first outside guest. Uh, a lot of you probably know him already, but if you don't, uh, Trip, would you uh, introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm outside guest, but I'm actually inside. And so Trip Logan, community pharmacist, second generation, Southeast Missouri, took my first steps in my dad's drugstore and I'm still working in one of the same practices right now, day in and day out, probably too much. <laughs> too much. <laughs> right. I like it. Well, thank you for uh, joining us. Happy to be here. For those of you who don't know Trip, uh, one of the things that I uh, we're on an inno- innovation board together uh, with uh, at NCPA, and uh, d- he does a lot of stuff with CPSN. But one of the things I figured out about Trip really quick is he really hard worker and and really believes in in independent pharmacy and. Um, you know, one of the things that if independent pharmacy is going to be successful, there are going to be a lot more people like Trip in the world. So tell us a little bit about your uh, how you got into pharmacy. Just give us a little bit of your story. I hear that's a great story, Trip. not to oversell it. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Yeah, the pressure's on now. Well, I appreciate that intro, Jeff. Um, yeah, I, I wish I could say that I'm always out working and hustling just to further the profession. Usually it's just to keep the doors open or any of you work in the NCPA Innovation Center or CPSN or any of the other entities I'm working with. It's really selfish. It's real selfish because all I'm trying to do is keep the doors open to the drugstores that we own and operate. I've got a 15-year-old son and two other kids, just hoping they've got the same opportunity that, that I've had. And so that, that was easy at one point. It's getting harder and harder every day. But we've been real lucky that we've been able to pivot and find this new service-driven revenue stream, all these opportunities that are available now for the pharmacist and the pharmacy and not, not necessarily connected with dispensing prescriptions. So that's what gives me my drive. A little bit about background with me. So I grew up, as I mentioned, in my, I'm a second generation community pharmacist, still work with my dad. Uh, we've owned um, multiple locations for, for a long time, bought, sold, merged, opened, closed. Um, right now we've got two locations in Southeast Missouri. We're getting ready to open up our third one and possibly a fourth one soon, but we should have our third one open um, over the, before the end of the year. Uh, when I was in high school, I worked in one of our drug. Actually, I worked on the farm first. You know, it's typical what you do around here in agriculture area, and um, it's like a rite of passage. My son did that last year when he was 14 and decided that this year he wanted a nice air conditioned job in the in the drugstore, and so he's working in one of our pharmacies now. I did the same thing when I was a, about his age and. Worked in the pharmacy from about 16 all the way through my undergrad, and I didn't I didn't want to have anything to do with pharmacy. My dad had two sons, or has two sons, and his partner at the time, who we've since um, 
bought out and acquired the full company. He had two sons and I was the only one. They kept saying, hey, you want to go to pharmacy school because none of the other three were going to go. I was in school in my undergrad to be, I had a, um, I was a chemistry, criminal justice double major. And so my goal was I had gone on a field trip when I was a kid to uh, DC and and I really, FBI is what I wanted to do. And I thought that was, that would be cool. And I, one of my um, undergrad criminal justice professors had told me, took me to the side when I was, I think my sophomore, maybe beginning my sophomore year of undergrad. And she said, you know, my, uh, I think her, she was a former uh, district attorney and her, her husband's affiliated with the SBI. And he said, she, she told me that her husband had said, you know, really FBI are looking for a couple of things right now, pharmacists and accountants, because the prescription drug stuff and was uh, bubbling up at this point. This had been in 1997, I guess. And uh, I was like, oh, well, I mean, I guess I could apply to pharmacy school. So I applied real quick, took the PCAT, did terrible on the PCAT. I was in uh, terrible scores, uh, went ahead and sent a couple applications in, in state, I got, I was like, you know, if I get an interview, I think I can get in, but on paper, I looked like a terrible applicant. I got a, an interview from University of Missouri, Kansas City first. I thought, you know, if I get an interview, I should be okay. And so uh, uh, I got an interview. They put me on a waiting list. Finally, in the midsummer, they called and said, you've got a spot. Do you want it? So I scrambled, got my stuff together and took that spot. Still really thinking, I'm going to use this degree to, to leapfrog into some other thing. I thought about going to law school as well. And so I was just thinking, you know, what all my options are. And um, let's see, I'd been in pharmacy school in Kansas City for probably two weeks, maybe three weeks. And I got a phone call on a Friday afternoon from my father. And he said, hey, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I just got out of class. He said, well, um, I got a question for you. What, what would you say about, you know, you don't, no, you don't have to decide right now. What would you say about, and I know you don't, you, you don't really want to come back to, to work in Charleston, Missouri in the family business, but what would you say if we have to make a decision this week where if you do want to come back, we'll go one way, but if you want to go and, and further your, your current path, then that's fine. We'll go a different way. Man, that's a, you know, that's a lot of pressure for a 20-year-old kid that, that really wasn't planning on doing that. I said, well, how long do I have? He said, till Monday. <laughs> so I went back and I was like, man, I got to think about this. That's where you, you go back and you dig deep. And Sunday night I called and I said, I'll, 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 I'll go, I'll come back and I'll do it. And he said, okay. And to be honest, like fully honest. And I, somebody asked me this about this not too long ago and it pops up. I still don't even know what that decision they were making was. I didn't even ask. And then the funny thing is, so I, I, I met my, my now wife not too long after that decision was made. And she said, I want to see your hometown. I was like, well, when you go see this hometown, I just committed to go back there. And so we're not going any further if if you don't like where that's going, because I've already committed and I've got to do it. So that, that's the deal. And you got to have like I laid that out early because I just committed. High pressure. High hey, pressure I, I kind of got shivers hearing that story because it's neat to have, you know, I don't know that my son at that age would have that kind of commitment. Right. Hey, I said I'm going to do it. Hey, I'm dating you. Hey, just letting you know, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. So, you know, just. Well, they were dependent on me, right? I yeah. mean, they, he was dependent. They were dependent on me. We, we had already, you know, that's what they laid that foundation. We're dependent on you to come back and, you know, you just do what you got to do. Yeah. I, I, I think that's awesome. Yeah. I definitively did not have that kind of maturity at that age. Yeah. I mean, I actually went to pharmacy school so I could stay in Austin for four more years. So it was, it was a well-rounded 
thought out plan, just stay in Austin for as long as I can and pharmacy school works. It worked out for me is the best decision I ever made. Really. I mean, it, it ended up working out that maybe those high pressure decisions end up being the best. I don't know. You know, one of the things I, I've heard about you is you have a great relationship with your dad and it sounds like you had a really good upbringing because it takes that kind of good upbringing to be able to have that kind of dedication to tell somebody, Hey, I'm going to do it and do it. And, um, so how much, um, you know, how much do you work with your dad on a day-to-day basis today? Yeah, pretty much every day. So when I get, when I got out of school, I was staff pharmacist. Um, funny story that I don't know if this is a story podcast, but I'll tell a story. So I didn't do a residency. I didn't do anything after school other than get back as quick as I could. I worked with a paper Missouri Board of Pharmacy license for about two weeks because my dad was putting off hernia surgery for like three years waiting for me to get out of school. So if that's not enough pressure to get out of school, he was putting off <laughs> surgery and my first time I ever staffed by myself was while he was out on hernia surgery. But yeah, we, we've worked together um, out of the same office. I, I was staff pharmacist for probably 10 years in the last, I don't know, eight. I do, I do a lot of staff and well, our, my pharmacists that work with me would probably say I don't do a lot of staffing, but I still staff some, but most of what we're doing now is trying to keep the doors open. Um, we work out of the same office and are, are really just trying to figure out how we're going to survive for the next, you know, quarter to two quarters to year. And, and that's, that's what we spend most of our time doing now. But we, we still meet in the morning in the office. Uh, there's always coffee ready there. My mom's retired. So that's where he can come get coffee and we visit. He works pretty much every day that, he, that he's not traveling or, or doing something fun working in his wood shop. But um, I'm, I'm pretty blessed in that way that I've been able to do that for not only when I was a, a kid, but in the last 18 years, I, I've been able to, to work alongside my father. You talk about, I'm, I'm going to move it to a little bit more towards like you said, keeping the doors open and things like that. What yeah. are, what are the new, like you talked about like service lines or service based things and things like that. What are some of those things you've, you've guys found or are developed that you guys can talk through and that you've been successful in your pharmacies? Yeah, well, I'll start off with I've wasted more of my dad's money on good ideas on how to keep the doors open than probably <laughs> right. I'd like it. And, and he would, that'd be the first thing he'd probably say if he was the one doing this podcast. But um, we have really um, tried to make sure we're keeping the ball moving forward down the field and everything we do. Um, evolve our practice as, as much as we can in the most sustainable way that we can. And you know, that all started with organizing the, the workflow 15 years ago where we had technicians on the phone following up with patients instead of responding to them when they walked in the door. Um, fast forward to now, I mean, we did our, our first COVID test today. Um, we've got contracts right now with public health entities where we're getting paid for screening and referral and follow up with their patients and they're referring people to us. We get paid for self-monitoring blood pressure classes. Um, we're, we've done pharmacogenomic testing and had employer contracts with that. Uh, we're working really hard to get some pharmacists embedded in some clinics. I actually had a meeting with a, a more pretty sizable provider group yesterday. And we're trying to do everything we possibly can to diversify revenue so we can keep our staff in place. We're not having to lay anybody off. We can offset these terrible reductions in prescription dispensing revenue with something that's tangible. And, and to be quite honest, like it'd be hard for me not to disclose this. I do a lot of consulting work and my father does too. And that offsets the, the you know, my goal every year is to offset the cost on the company of me. And if I can do that, 
then I can make sure that we're reinvesting everybody else. So we do a lot of consulting work. I, I try to do every consulting project I can I can get my hands on to offset my cost. So that's one thing that, that I don't have to worry about. What type of consulting is it? Is it like pharmacy operations? Is it buy side? Is Man. it sell side? Is it all, yeah. everything? Kind of the whole gamut? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we've worked with, so I've got a consulting company that we started several years ago because we were just needing to separate a little bit. But so I'm going to bundle a whole lot of things into one. Um, we've worked with large managed Medicaid plans. My team has to help them with their pharmacy transformation efforts around certain quality metrics that was important to the health plan. Uh, one of the largest Medicaid MCOs in the country. We were, we were their um, chain and independent driver for quality metrics, trained pharmacies, helped support them, get them to improve the metrics that are important to the plan and pay them for it. Um, we've worked with startup companies uh, with some uh, pretty uh, high-profile Silicon Valley investors that think that they have a, a really good offering out there. And I, we had one in particular that, that we had a few years ago that they needed some business development and some market analysis, needed to get a taste for what the community pharmacy world looks like. And we ended up coming back to them. And this is one where you know every big company you ever heard of, somebody from one of those startups had uh, that's now a, a a publicly traded entity that everybody knows their name. They were involved in in one of these projects, and we ended up going back to them later and saying, "Look, there's no, you know, this is a saturated market. You're really going to have a hard time getting there." Uh, currently, we're working with a client around clinical drug trials and using pharmacies for that. Um, we also do individual consulting, like we do a lot of speaking, a lot of engagements. Um, good plug right now. I'm I'm faculty for the NCPA Innovation Center's new fellowship program. So here's a plug for that. We're just enrolling our first round of, of, of students into that program. So I signed on as faculty to help. Actually, was working on that yesterday. And I could go on and on. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of consulting right now in public health because we've got community health workers that are um, currently employed in our pharmacies and they're working with closely with local service agencies in public health. And um, we're, we're working as consultants to help others do the same. So that's that's been real rewarding. Yeah, we can y'all see what I mean about, yeah, yeah. about hard working? And that's one like yeah. area. One yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. One that's one like lane of his life. That's, that's what I do from mm -hmm. one to four. <laughs> right. And so tell us about the, the COVID. You said you did your first COVID test today. Um, is it a nasal? Is it what, what kind of, is it a antibody? What type of test is it? So just as everything else, everything else I just described, we only, I mean, really, honestly, we just respond to stuff that falls in our lap and it passes the sniff test. So this COVID testing thing, we, I'm on the board at our county um, public health department and, and we've been pretty um, um, uh, involved in their protocols and trying to help and support, get messaging out to the community. You know, we employ quite a few people in, in a, a couple, across two or three counties and so, you know, these, the, when, as of like right now, and I'll just give you a, a taste right now, COVID's blowing up in the communities where I live and where our pharmacies are. And so contact tracing is becoming an issue. They're running out of tests, getting shortage tests. One of our local providers we work closely with that's actually in our building called me a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, I need to get my hands on a rapid test. Would you be willing to work with us on that? And we said, yeah. So we were trying to figure out how. So we're, we're working with her to get going with some rapid testing. In the meantime, we, we needed a, another option. So we signed all on with a company that's doing saliva testing and their home kits, but they have to be run by the pharmacist and we have to be in, involved in the screening process and get that going. Uh, actually, our kits came in yesterday and we're, we did our first one today. We're trying to work the, the workflow out on that. 
basically responded to local need. And I go back to the selfish thing. We wouldn't do this if there wasn't a local need, but it, it, there's a real big local need. So we see this gap and we feel like we need to fill it locally. Um, until this gap was here, we really weren't looking at it as, as an opportunity, but we think that this, this is going to blow up, especially with schools getting ready to be back in session. Were you making a funny there with the whole COVID and the sniff test? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Bad joke, right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, he, he pulled that off with a total straight face. Right. So, that was pretty yeah. dead. Yeah. It's pretty deadpan. That's that pretty good. That, that's a my, that's a cool. My little... girls call it. My daughters call it dad jokes. That's... Like, not they're not funny. Right? No, yeah. we all have our. Yeah, we're all dads here too. So, so the so that. the test you're doing in the pharmacy is a saliva test, and is that yeah. is that require full PPE? Or are you passing it out the drive through window? Or are you saying take this home and get these instructions? What what are we doing there? Yep. So we're working on protocol today on that with our first one. Um, what I'll, I'll tell you is this is probably going to evolve, but as of right now, um, we're going to do it all over the phone, schedule, payment, um, screening, everything over the phone. And our goal is to either hand it out the drive through or do, um, we do a lot of curbside right now as well. Uh, schedule a time, send somebody out curbside and uh, follow up elsewhere. The goal is not to have this impact um, inside pharmacy operations, anybody working or, or anybody that happens to be in the pharmacy at that time. That's our, that's our goal. Now I could, we could fast forward 30 days. I'll tell you how it actually works, but that's, that's our goal. So do they, they mail that in? Do they put that in the mail? How Correct. long does, it, that's the, how that's long does it take to get a test result back? So what we're told is, and again, this is our first one, but a two day turnaround is, um, what we'll get, but that doesn't include mail time. And so we're looking at about a four day, uh, locally right now, we're, most of the rapid tests are being used for nursing homes because we're having a, a real increase in, in long-term care positives and healthcare worker positives within hospitals and pre-surgical patients because surgeries are they're starting back up again. And so most of the rapid tests are being used locally with that. We're seeing about a, anywhere from a four, well, three to seven day average turnaround. So we feel like we're going to be within that range locally, which is why um, we think that's a viable option. If there are a lot of rapid tests available now, I don't know that it would be. Makes sense. Wow. Yeah, 72 hours is kind of the magic. I mean, it's, I guess for traveling or something like 72 yeah. hours is kind of a magic number. Um, yep. We've kind of gotten a, a lot of trip the machine Right. Just get just crazy. I think everybody keep repeating. It's just crazy. Um, what a what a worker you are and just how hardworking. But but tell us a little bit about Trip the Human Being. Tell us uh, so you have a fifteen year old. Tell us more about your family and what do you do for fun? Yeah, so I appreciate that. Not everybody asked that, but that's what I'm most proud of. So um um my wife and I are actually uh have birthdays on the same day. Well, it's sort of the same day, tomorrow and the next day, and so we're um, we're proud of our family, my wife, Laura, and then I've got a 15 year old son who's a sophomore in high school. And then I've got, uh, uh, two daughters, one that's going to be in eighth grade, one that's going to be in fourth grade starting next week. Uh, we, we enjoy a lot of family time again. I'm, you know, it sounds like I'm doing a lot. I, I live, I live six blocks from my office in, in LNS, at LNS pharmacy in Charleston, Missouri. My parents live another four blocks down the road and I've got one brother and he lives another five blocks from there. Like my folks have a swimming pool and kids get to play there all the time. I live in a small community where my family's been here for, for hundreds of years and I'm related to half the people in the town. <laughs> you know, I, I stay very grounded because I'm around these people all the time and yeah, I don't feel like I'm doing anything other than just hustling, trying to keep the doors open. Uh, we, I get to come home every night. Yeah. You know, I, I, 
used to travel a lot before this, all the, the pandemic part here, which was um, nice for me because I could actually get out and socialize with, with um, people. People you weren't related to? Face, <laughs> face to face. Right, right, right. But yeah, other than that, I mean, other than that little bit of travel, I, I get to, you know, my, my son plays a lot of sports. I get to go to all. I didn't miss a single baseball or basketball game in the last couple of years. My daughter's swim and dance. I haven't, I think I might have missed one or two dance competitions or, or swim meets in the last five years. So I'm, I'm real blessed in that way. I have to say, you're coming off a little bit superhuman. I feel a yeah, little I, inadequate I, yeah, here. Yeah, me I'm too. just letting you know. They got the, the dream, the dream life. Uh, so, what kind of? Uh, so, you, the 15 year old got an inside job this year. So, so this summer, what what do you get to do? Yeah. So you start out exactly where I started out, which is the lowest rung possible. So he's got, you know, he's he's spraying the weeds out in the parking lot, picking cigarette butts out of the uh, <laughs> nice. out of the rocks out front. Uh, we, we've got him doing a lot of the um, uh, the uh, running out back and forth for curbside and taking phone calls and learning the business. But he's trying to decide what he wants to do. You know, we're, we're getting close to where we need to do some college visits. And he's got some ideas of, of what he might want to do and where he might want to go. And so we're just trying to expose him to as many things as possible. Same with my daughters. We'll, we're hopefully going to be able to do the same thing there. Uh, it's nice to... Yeah, I've, I've, again, I've been blessed where I've been able to travel a lot and I take my family with me when I can. And so they've been able to see a lot of different places. And we always try to stop by a college campus or, or something if we're in, a, in an area. So hopefully they'll have a good idea of what they want to do. If they don't want to go to college and, and come up with another another thing they're passionate about, I'm fine with that as well. I just want to make sure they're exposed to as many things as, as possible. So what is he thinking? I don't want to have any regrets. What's he thinking he might want to do? Well, he likes it. He likes the lifestyle he has right now. So, pharmacy looks real good. <laughs> and my wife's a school teacher, and the girls think school teaching sounds good too. But you know, you you kind of get immersed in one thing, and, and you, unless you're exposed to other things, you don't really know. So, I'm not holding my breath. If any of them want to come back and work for the, for us, and and be partners in our business and, and expand it even further and, and make it even more sustainable. I'm all for it, but I'm not going to push, you know, that, that's a, that's a decision that I got to make on my own and I want them to be sure to make it on their own. Especially like coming off the farm. He's probably <laughs> like, this is great. <laughs> Maybe. Right. I, I don't know. I worked a farm yeah. when I was, when I was little too. So I get it. So I, uh, yeah. you know, I, I have friends at work and, um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, Mark and Marcia, I'm going to their house and, and they'll say, oh, they'll say, Mr. Jeff's coming over and the kids will go, oh, yeah, it's going to be business, business, business. <laughs> so so is it like that when y'all, when your dad and everybody gets together, are we, are we talking pharmacy or are we try to go, okay, this is no pharmacy zone. We're, we're chilling out. We're talking about other stuff. That's a real good question. I actually thought about that the other day because I left work and my dad said, hey, I'm going to grill hamburgers at the house. You and the kids want to come over, let them swim after work. And so he left and I stopped by after work. And we did. We did, usually don't talk about business around the family um, unless it's just something real pertinent. But uh, you know, it seems like we're immersed in that nonstop. So, and, and we've never even really talked about it, I guess. Uh, I don't think we make a conscious effort, but it's nice to unplug from all that every once in a while because it unfortunately as a as a pharmacy owner versus somebody that's clocking in clocking out we're always on and so if we can unplug just for a little bit that's good even you know even if i'm working on a consulting project in california my phone rings it's probably going to be something going on with one of the drug stores and i'm gonna have to respond so every little thing we can do to unplug from that is is a much needed uh, free time for sure any hobbies? You a hunter or any kind of stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, so um, I I used to 
and this is going to sound sad, but it's really not. I, I hunted, played golf. I was on three softball teams for a while. You know, I, very active. Um, when my 15-year-old was born, um, decided I was going to spend as much time with the kids where, while they're around. And so we've spent, you know, I'm that guy with the with the, the folding chairs going to all the baseball games and everything. So I've completely tabled my hobbies. I like woodworking. Um, I, I like, um, I redid a bathroom during, as soon as the pandemic hit, I was like, man, I'm going to have to have something to do on the weekends if we're, we can't do anything outside and we were on lockdown. So I've redid a bathroom. <laughs> I, I like, I like doing stuff, but I've really enjoyed, really enjoyed going to like kids baseball games and swim meets and making sure I'm there for every single one of those I can. But I just had the conversation with a friend of mine this morning when we were in this little running group and we run three days a week before work, just kind of clear our heads, you know, get our exercise, make sure we're, uh, we're not the uh, high risk ones during a a pandemic. (laughs) And I was telling, I was telling the guys like he went and played golf. He said, you ought to come back out. I was like, honestly, my kids are getting old enough now. They're starting to do stuff where I don't have to be there. I need to start picking back up some of these things gonna have to have something to do i understand i am the folding chair guy as well yeah (laughs) i've got an almost three-year-old and prior to her i um i did some form of exercise or or fighting five to six days a week and then you have a baby and it's tops it's like i thought about doing it five or six times a week for a while (laughs) and then i thought about doing it once a week for a while and it's just we always like, oh, when she's a little older, we'll get back into it. Like, I don't know when that happens, but it, it seems like around fourth grade. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, 15. I, w- I know exactly when mine happened. I walked in from a softball game when uh, I think my son might have been eight weeks old or something. And I saw the look on Laura's face when I walked in. And she had been with him and I'd been at a softball game. I'm like, nope, I'm done. <laughs> so I, <laughs> no more. No more. That's good. Yeah. So this is a little tangential, but, you know, you you kind of listed some of the things you do and it seems to fill up more than one full work day. Um, and you know, and you do a lot of stuff within CPA and CPSN and, you know, we work a lot with some of the CPSN and flip the pharmacy groups and almost universally, when you're talking about getting somebody to change their operational style, the first thing they tell us is I don't have time. So how do you motivate somebody that says I don't have time and you're sitting there doing all of that and then some, uh, it's well that's my life what you just described is i don't have time but so let's start with personally we we didn't start this yesterday right we started i'll tell you just another story i don't know how much time we have but i'll tell you exactly where our whole pharmacy operation changed and why we decided we need to make time i had a it, i was probably two years out of school so it's been 15 17 years ago we we were sitting in the pharmacy my dad and i happened to both be staffing that day we heard one of our techs bonnie who's still there today say yeah hon uh, yeah we, uh, something something i said bonnie what, what just went on there and i knew this guy she was talking to she said well he brought in this prescription for three hiv medications and we don't have them and i told him we'd have it in tomorrow and he'll be back I was like okay so we ordered five thousand dollars worth of hiv meds which we didn't have um, they came in the next day, like clockwork, and guess who didn't come in? That guy. Two weeks go by, my dad yelling at me, like, send this crap back. We, we got $5,000 on the shelf. He's never going to come get it up, pick it up. We know this guy. We sent it back. Two days later, he shows up. We're like, we failed miserably. We didn't call him. We didn't call the, the infectious disease clinic. We did nothing proactive. And so we assigned a technician to him specifically and said, make sure he has what he needs when he needs it. We'll deliver it if we need to. 
Well, that started working into infectious disease clinic calls that what's going on with so-and-so because his numbers are real good. We explained the process. We started getting more of theirs. We thought, well, would this work for diabetes? And so we did with diabetes, and that's how we started managing inventory or whatever. And we have evolved to what I was describing earlier. We've got community health workers on staff, wide delivery radius, I and mean, we're trying to do as much as we possibly can. Had a colleague down the road, actually a um, great friend of mine, student of ours that, that worked for us. And we actually opened up a new pharmacy several years ago, and he was our pick, and we put plugged him in there, and he bought the store from us a few years ago. And he's like, I need some help with X, Y, Z. And I was like, you're, you're trying to do too much too quickly, one step at a time. Just pick one thing and start. Once you get good at that, move on to another one. We've, we've worked with hundreds and hundreds of pharmacies on practice transformation through consulting projects or just helping them as a colleague. And the one thing they all try to do is get too far, too fast, too quickly. So just start slow, pick a spot. Usually it's around a metric that's important. And we, we always pick inventory as a good one because if you do it around expensive inventory, everybody sees the return on that. And you, it's worth giving a tech a, a, a patient to follow if they're on something that costs $1,500. You don't want to keep that in stock. You could pay that tech for a long time on that $1,500. Yeah, that's a lot of, you know, a lot of time with them. Um, Installing pharmacy, you know, people switch into our pharmacy software. You know, they they all the time the, the the first week of changing, they want to oh well, we're going to start our MedSync program and we're going to he's like no 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 you need to do what you were doing yesterday today and then you need to get a you need to get a journey and if you're not doing inventory you need to do it first and then the next if you don't in MedSync you need to get into that so yeah I, uh, that's a story we tell probably daily to people uh, looking to make changes. I want to hear more. Um, about the uh, the new company that you guys started, the ESPA, ESPA. Is that, yeah. tell tell us yeah. about that. It sounds super interesting. Sounds sound like something we should be working with at Pioneer. So tell us about that. Yeah. So um, being, a, I mean, y'all have heard a little taste of like I get exposed to a lot of things a lot. My father does too. And, and back to how do you? We hire very well. Um, we have. Uh, We've got former residents and we've got a residency program. We've got great staff, great pharmacists. Um, we, we try to build this team atmosphere, which allows me to be able to go out and do some of these other things. So things are in better hands without me being involved a lot of times. But uh, that, that's that's how you get there, which allows me to to um, help wherever I can with some other initiatives. And what we see very often, I mean, really often is uh, uh company or a startup or a, um, somebody with a really good idea that says, I want to, I think this is good for community farms. And we see this a lot on CPSN, like, wow, this is great, but it's not fully baked. You know, it, it's not ready to plug and play with community pharmacy or these guys' perception of community pharmacy and what they actually can do is really different than, than what they actually can do. And we found this, there's this space in between great opportunity over here great opportunity for pharmacy, but it's just not ready to get there yet. And so there were so many of these things and we had had some consulting experience in the past. We really just formed an entity to do those type of projects, but I'll go back to the sniff. It has to pass the sniff test, right? It has to be good for community pharmacy practice. Um, we really, um, you know, one of my, and this is one of my pet peeves about working with entities and um, those that are probably watching this podcast have heard this before, but I'm real cautious working with any publicly traded entity that is involved in healthcare 
because if your if your um, allegiance and your responsibility is really on that, you know, it's all based on that quarterly earnings report and not on the outcomes or the the sustainability of, of whatever you're you're looking at. You know, I think there's a, a disconnect and a conflict of interest, and so there's there's certain things that we we want to make sure are on board, but. Um, we've got some cool projects going on now with some current clients where we're working with business development. We're testing them out in pharmacies. We're trying to bring opportunities for the pharmacies to not only become experts in a different space, but but have these um, uh, non-traditional revenue streams in their pharmacy. But they need it's like a translator. You know, I've got a, a cousin that's a translator for um, uh, NASA and uh, rocket launches in in, in Russia, uh, and. I feel when I talk to him a lot, like that's kind of what we are. We're talking to companies that, that have opportunity. We're talking to pharmacies that need opportunity, but sometimes you need somebody to put the pieces together and, and translate the language and the workflow. And so that's what we do. That's what we've been doing with ESMA. Got it. So it's kind of like a skunkworks place, right? You're experimenting, baking some new stuff, and then when it's ready, you launch it. Cool. That's right. That's right. Is that really is is kind of where those clients that are coming to you or, or those opportunities are those around like employer base employer groups who like self-funded or fully insured stuff what what is kind of not to drill not to drill down into this too much but that's kind of yeah so that that's definitely a focus um we've spent a lot of time building yeah it it all goes back to translation because I, okay and, and i don't know how far in the weeds you want to get on the employer side but yeah we've spent a lot of time there um so i'm i'm a a community pharmacist that employs people with a health benefit. You know, one question that is never brought up to me from a broker friend of mine until we we started talking about this, that it sells us our health benefit is, it's like, here's your deductible, here's the, the provider network, here's the hospitals, whatever, here's your co-pays on the pharmacy benefit. They never say, here's who the pharmacy benefit manager is, or here's what this benefit, here are the restrictions around, you know, third fill goes to mail, mandatory mail, that, that's not communicated to employers. And so we immediately naively went into this market and say, well, we're just going to go in and we're going to replace, this was two or three years ago, we're going to replace the PBM with a transparent PBM partner that we brought on board. Well, then we realized, man, there's so many pieces to this employer world. You know, you've got your, you know, your underwriters, you've got your, you got to have, there's always a broker involved. You got the, the TPAs. You, I mean, there, there's so many pieces. Then you got to get the, the medical provider network. So we started building those pieces with different colleagues that we had out there, and we pitched to several employers. Um, CPSN, we've taken, I've, I've been working on the CPSN side to take a lot of these learnings that we've had and try to expand that across the country as well. And, and we've learned several things along the way that A, it's not easy, B, um, the language that's being spoken to the employer is not pharmacy-driven language. And when you talk to employers about you know, really for the, the health of your uh, and the benefit of to your employees to lower your cost, it's beneficial for them to use this pharmacy. Most of these employers don't even know what their pharmacy benefit is other than copay or whatever. They don't know about the restricted network that the pharmacy is getting killed on every prescription from this employer. So we're, we're targeting consortiums. And this is every hat trip wears through CPSN, through ESFA, through my pharmacies that we're working with, through my Missouri CPSN network. We're all targeting employers actively right now to replace the current pharmacy benefits, but more so embed services into these employer contracts where, you know, they may lose the first year a little bit or break even, but over the course of time, 
they're on the hook for the expense of the the health benefit for their employee they they save money over the the life of this and it creates local partnerships too um, employers are really frustrated right now they're especially frustrated with all this remote care their employees are mad because they can't use the local pharmacy and they've got to mail order their prescriptions and so that messaging is not hard but building the packages that, that, that's pretty hard so ESFA can help with that kind of stuff um, we've I've actually brought a lot of our ESFA resources and, and help CPS and some local folks with that as well I gotcha so if I'm a pharmacist I've got a, a fairly large employer that's in my population you know that's something ESFA can they can reach out to ESFA and go hey look can you can you help me yeah. deliver some type of package to them that that makes sense for them and and, and hopefully establishes a, a much closer working relationship yeah we've dispatched um uh, a um like in that situation dispatch brokers or a um a benefit design consultant okay. to those you know those areas that, that they had coverage in you know then you get into coverage and regions mm-hmm. and politics and everybody plays golf with somebody you know there are a lot of nuances but yeah that that's what we would have done in that situation gotcha that's cool. I mean, we, we see a, a lot of, you know, like everybody wants to do like the TPA approach and make their custom plan. And, um, it's just, it's not flip a switch. And we've, we started no. looking at that from, you know, the pioneer side, right. Just internally. And it's just, you have to plan it like two years out to be effective at it. Yeah. Any advice, Long sales cycle. Yeah. Any advice to us there? Let, let's say, I mean, we're a employer who believes in a pharmacy focused health plan. Uh, today we're we're self-insured for both the health side and the uh, pharmacy side. Um, any advice for us? We have a location in Dallas, location in Shreveport. What would you? What advice would you give us as employers? Yeah, so I would pick apart each piece of that that package. So if it's a package that's pre-made. Um, do, you know, like say the whoever your consultant that's building it for you, all the pieces, there's savings in most of those pieces. Now, the bundle could be put together in a way that you're saving the maximum amount of money as a company, but um, always try to shop that regularly. Yeah, you know, it's funny when before my life at Pioneer, I worked for DeVita and um, in that renal care, there was always that medical side and then there was the pharmacy side and very few people paid attention to the pharmacy side other than hey cost went up 12% last year. Um, and then my last couple of years there, we worked on an integrated care part and the whole premise of it was, I don't care about the cost of pharmacy. I care about the total cost. And when you look at that as a bundled group, you change the perspective on how everybody looks at, do you want to spend five extra dollars on lisinopril or do you want to spend $20,000 on a hospitalization? And that conversation's a no-brainer. Totally agree. It's not had enough, actually, that conversation. And, and it, it all goes back to, and this is another rabbit hole, but it all goes back to the siloed impact of, of us as pharmacists making really poor decisions for the last 25 years to put ourselves, allow ourselves to be put in this silo where our, you know, the budget that handles our department is totally disconnected from the the medical side and so that's you know that's part of what um, i've committed the last 10 years of my career to help overcome and i know um, my colleagues at cpsn that you guys work with we're we're um, working with them i'm working with them daily to do the same i think we've had a lot of success and i'm really excited about what what the world's looking like the problem is and i keep saying this real loud to anybody that'll listen the time is now because pharmacies are closing. It's really ugly out there from a dispensing side. I worry about 
pharmacies like mine that aren't doing the things that we're doing and trying to get them, you know, it's a full-time job trying to get them up to where they need to be to support an area that'll help support my pharmacies and make sure that we've got more opportunities. And we're, we're behind the eight ball right now. If I'm a pharmacy out there today and I'm like, wow, I want to be like Trip. you know, I need to do more. I just don't know where to start in getting the, getting the information, getting the help about, you know, what to do. Where do I go? There, there are a lot of things, but if I had one recommendation, I would just say get involved with CPSN, Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network, in your local network, your local chapter. Like right now, I'm, I'm in CPSN, Missouri. Um, what I would do is I would sign up. I had this conversation. Like we, we just uh, landed a, a multi-million dollar grant for 11 counties in southeast Missouri, which is where I reside. And we're onboarding pharmacies in 11 counties, which we've been recruiting it for CPSN due to this payer opportunity. And, and all the, a lot of them are in this exact shape, and they've asked me the same question. What you do is you, you sign up, you, you get involved with your local chapter because that's your access to all of these things I'm talking about to me. That's your access point. Every CPSN network, local network, has a network facilitator, somebody that is in charge of oversight in the network. In, in the state of Missouri, it's Michaela Newell, and she does a great job. What I do is I'm connecting every one of these guys to Michaela Newell and some of our local luminaries to make sure they're on the email threads. They attend the town halls. If nothing else, when they get home in the evening and they're relaxing, they watch one of the recordings. Understand what's going on in the area because there's so much going on, but a lot of these guys are behind the counter and they never look up. They're just counting, never look up. They don't know what's going on in their backyard. I just had one of these a couple of weeks ago. Great addition to our network. Wonderful addition. We've been trying to figure out how to get them there in the past, but we just couldn't get them over the hump. But they're there now and very involved. Actually, just signed up for Flip the Pharmacy, which I heard you mention a minute ago. So um, huge win for us. Any opportunities in the COVID? Um, do you see, how, how do you see, and I know we've talked about this a couple of weeks and they've said, hey, quit talking about COVID. But but I think it's super interesting to to think about, you know, how, how are things going to change? Are, are things are going to change for good. What are the opportunities? You know, one of the things I, I hear you say before is that, you know, hey, there's a lot of chaos, but chaos is a time that you can create opportunities. And 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 uh, what do you think some of those opportunities are that coming out of the chaos? The main thing that we we, we just had this conversation yesterday is our, our COVID test came in. It's like, we got to be nimble because we don't always know what these opportunities are. Um, our... Yeah, we have found locally that our the things that we have done to date, being accessible, being in, having a, a wide delivery area, having a, a, a essentially, and I hate to call it a call center because it's really not, but having our staff engaged with a lot of people in the community across you know 30, 40, 50 miles for um, for ongoing time up to this point, it's, it's been made us what we're doing very valuable. And so others are trying to tap into what we're doing. To me, that just tells tells a story of you know, local contact is pretty valuable. And you look at like now the postal services under under all this, um, people aren't traveling, makes us even more valuable. So we're trying to figure out how to best leverage this. Um, I, you know, my wish list is I think every Medicaid program in the country should engage pharmacies just like mine in every community and pay us for managing the care of their highest risk patients. It's happening in pockets all over the place. And we've been talking about this for a long time. Um, we're, we're well prepared to do this and are working with other pharmacies in our region to make this pitch and continue to make this pitch to Medicaid programs. But I just think care management from the pharmacy 
from a trusted person that has access to the community makes so much sense right now. As you know, I was almost late to this a minute ago because I was working with some contact tracing stuff around COVID with our health department this morning. And it, it just tells me how valuable our staff is. They're struggling for contact tracing and these people are getting paid a lot of money to do contact tracing. I'm like, well, man, our, our staff could hop up. We could knock out these all day long. We're set, we're set to do it and they know everybody in the, in the county. So why are we not being hired to do the contact tracing? So I just think this local value is not being expressed enough. I think that's what COVID is telling me. We're valuable if we can just stay here and capitalize on some, maybe some of the testing, some of the other opportunities through public health, make sure that we're compensated for these things and we're negotiating this right. Um, I've been talking to the, the primary care groups in, in the area. You know, this remote patient monitoring is really important right now. They're having a hard time getting people back into the clinics and they're absolutely just dying and withering from a lack of office visits. You know, their revenue's down. So we're, we're talking to them about how we can help recruit and uh, engage these patients of, that, are, that should be coming to their clinics and then follow up with them regularly in order to keep them in there. And that's been very well received. So I, I think that's the opportunity right now is expressing our value locally. But again, if you're counting prescriptions and not looking past the counter, if what you're seeing is your volume going down because new prescriptions aren't currently being written because nobody's seeing anybody and you're just getting depressed. But if you step out like, wow, why are the new prescriptions going down? Well, it's nobody's being seen. What can I do about that? Let's go see if we can use our resources to help these people be seen by the clinic. Something that kind of a, and I hate to have been in this for as long as I have been and not really thinking about this, but, you know, one of the things I get listening to, to Trip is that if you're a pharmacy and you're not connected to the community, if you haven't met the doctors, if you don't know who the local public health people are, if you don't know who the local plans are, not the national plans, if you don't know who the local plans are who are competing for stuff, you don't have a chance because these innovative ideas are local. They're not a national, right, we're not going to give you this yeah. national formula mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that says, hey, here you go, here's your checklist, work this out. You know, the checklist is, is being smart and nimble and getting involved with people locally and listening to their problems and figuring out what you can do about it. And that's not, totally and agree. that's the, the CPSN is a piece of that. Cause that gets you more local. That gets you down to your state. You know, a lot of those things are local, but um, I don't know if we do enough, you know, and, and one of our deals, we're all about if independent pharmacy is not successful, we don't have a chance. That's what we do. Right. And so, you know, uh, that's our motto, you know, to save and revitalize independent pharmacy and try to, you know, put the, the things that we build and the things we do and the ways we try to motivate people um, who are on our platform. I think one of the things we need to be saying that we need to be saying, hey, guys, if you don't know these people, right, if you don't know these people in your neighborhood, you're not going to be you're not going to make it. And, and so it's not just about getting efficient and doing your workflow efficiently and all that stuff. You've got to get out there and you got to make contacts and you got to figure out now you may have to do some of that to do it. You may have to get your inventory right and do MedSync in order to free up some time to get out there and and right. talk to the community so that you may have some foundation stuff you do before you can you can take an afternoon a week and, and go do things like that. But um, that's interesting. It's one of the things I think we'll have to change based on this discussion today. You know, and I read an article last night um, that said that they're expecting, based on a physician survey that some of the the American Medical Association did, um, they said that something like 16,000 independent practice physicians would permanently close their clinics or have already closed their clinics due to the pandemic. You know, there's a, another area in your, your local place where there's a, there's a gap now in pharmacy 
will have to fill that. Yeah, there's a reason that independent physician in our building called us asking for help with COVID testing, because I'm sure she's feeling that same struggle. Um, she knew to call because we'd engaged her. I mean, we, we are, we were, you know, she could text me if she needed some help with something. I'd already been in there. We, we knew her. Same thing with these others. And I, Jeff, I'm, I'm totally with you. You got to get your house in order first because you don't want to overcommit. If you overcommit and fail, you may never get a chance to, to deliver on that again. And you definitely don't want to burn any bridges or leave a bad taste in somebody's mouth. But if, once you've got your house in order and you've got the, the basic workflow down where you can deliver on some of these things, knocking on local doors is not hard. I mean, it, you're all in the same communities together, whether it's urban or rural. I mean, you're all in the same, you're, you're taking care of the same people. There's always something to talk about. So um, I, I can tell you, I'm not a take no very well. I mean, I, I'll wear you out just persistent and trying going back because I know that you always don't get a yes the first time. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it is with a lot of these guys. Some of them open up right away, but most of these docs we're working with, the clinics, the C-suite guys at the at the um, health clinic groups, you know, they they are receptive to somebody that's willing to help. And if the pharmacy puts himself out there and we're willing to help, what does it look like? I don't know. Let's figure it out together. Man, those partnerships are golden. I mean, that that's how you want to do. You want to be seen as a local partner, not as a vendor that's coming in telling you how they're going to easy button and automate all your stuff. That's what they're usually getting. Well, Tripp, I think we're we're closing out of time. I wanted to thank you for your time today and just just really thank you for all the stuff you do for for the the whole profession and um continue to be more impressed today than I was before. And I, I want to come <laughs> eat hamburgers at your dad's house and swim in the pool. <laughs> I know. So yeah. um, just appreciate it and, and appreciate uh, and, and look forward to, to working with you more later to, uh, to try to make this thing work. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys too. Um, I'm, I'm more than honored to be the, the uh, remote, the first remote non in the, uh, in the office guy that's doing this. I, I think that's great. I, I appreciate everything you guys are doing for community pharmacy practice. I know that you're doing it. Um, I'm right in the middle of it right now. So this is, uh, to me, very meaningful to have partners out there that have their ships pointed in the same direction as, as we do, me and, and, and all of my colleagues. So pat yourselves on the back, guys. Y'all are doing wonderful work. And um, all I can say is continue doing what you're doing because I think it's really helpful. And, and I don't know that my colleagues can do all this on their own. All right. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Trip. Thank you for listening to this Catalyst podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider liking, subscribing, and or following us. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more amazing pharmacy people like you. Follow PioneerX on your preferred social media platform for the latest up-to-date pharmacy news and content.